Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. Friendship. Five features of fantastic friends. And uh, we're at the conference, as Ruth mentioned this week. We've got some great input. It's like a double-barreled shotgun of messages and information and ideas and great preachers, lots of meetings. Um, and But one of the great uh, benefits of, uh, of getting away and being at those conferences is to catch up with friends, pastors, people in a similar journey to us. We've known for many years and we get to share stories and highlights and challenges and, and talk and pray with different people and, uh, as I said, building and, and walking through with friends. And uh, friends are pretty important. Um, there have been a whole bunch of studies uh, about the value of friendships. I read about a recent one that found uh, that people were happier, healthier and even more productive at work. Uh, when they had a good network of friends. Some of the specific findings from that study of thousands and thousands of people included the fact that married people counted their friendship with each other five times more important than physical intimacy in marriage. So, uh, gentlemen, just keep aware of that. And uh, they found that um, people uh, who reported having no friends at work had uh, what they figured out to be about a 1 in 12 chance of enjoying their work and feeling engaged in their work, which of course affected not only their well-being but their productivity. They also found things like if you have a close friend who eats well, you will be five times more likely to have a healthy diet yourself. Uh, Conversely, they found that people who were homeless, divorced or living poorly with sickness or even less serious issues such as overeating – They all identified a lack of friendships as one of the causes of those problems. And the director of the research ended up writing a book called Vital Friends, The People You Can't Afford to Live Without. Now, of course, these findings aren't new. You can find other research that says the same kind of thing. In fact, a long time ago, a wise man known uh, by the name of Aristotle, you might have heard of him, said this, in poverty... Well, he didn't say it that way because he didn't speak English, but someone's translated it conveniently for me and for you. But uh, translated uh, to the vernacular, he said, In poverty and other misfortunes of life, true friends are a sure refuge. They keep the young out of mischief, they comfort and aid the old in their weakness, and they incite those in the prime of life to noble deeds. (laughs) He had a pretty good mind. So good friends are good for us. They help us. And they influence us. So, of course, as the old adage says, you have to choose your friends wisely because, uh, you know, we we get affected by the people that we hang out with. In fact, one of the preachers at the conference this week said, uh, show me your friends and I will show you your future. In other words, we are growing and living towards the direction that the people we associate with are heading towards. Uh, and obviously the closer the influence that someone has, the closer the relationship someone has in our life, the closer, the bigger the influence is, is going to be on us. Uh, so we have to think carefully about, you know, who we associate with and what influence we end up in our lives. Um, 
And so then we think, all right, well, I want to choose my friends well. It's easy to think about the kind of people that I want to be friends with. But I just want to turn it around the other way today and think, but what about me? What, what am I doing to be a good friend? What, uh, what qualities am I bringing to the table? Because we all want good, deep, meaningful, healthy, valuable, rewarding relationships. But... As the other saying that you've heard of goes, um, the best way to make a friend is to be one. So I want you to think on the front foot today in terms of what you're doing and more than that, what, what you're being. Uh, because we can do something occasionally. We can ha- have a, a behaviour that we might employ to a degree at times. But of course, if you build a habit of behaviour, then hopefully it becomes a... Uh, an attitude and a, and, a, and a part of your character. And so we can then end up being a certain way without trying because we've just developed that into our character and then you'll just be the kind of person who can build healthy relationships. You'll just be available for the developing of some relationships that will flow into friendship. Not all of our relationships, of course, have to or should become deep, close, intimate, close buddy you know, besties, um, but we can at least become people who can be used to bring something to other people and to be available for the Holy Spirit to lead and for the personality clicking that we have with different people and then friendships can flow out of that and it'll be benefiting others as well as yourself. So I've got five features that I would like to focus on that we can all develop in our lives. As I said, some of them might start as just doing something, changing your behaviour, stretching into a, a way of doing things you might not normally do. But if you can develop habits, then that'll just end up being sort of part of your, your, your lifestyle and the, and the way you live. And the first one is uh, perhaps not a, a new one for you to think of, but something that we might not always do as well as we can. It's to be interested in other people. I want to look at a scripture in Philippians 2. Uh, This is chapter 2, verses 2 to 5. Paul's writing, he says, Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And you may know that passage. If you read on, he goes on and talks about Jesus' attitude flowing into his incredible actions of love, coming from heaven to earth and humbling himself and living as a man. There's some really good, straightforward directives there that uh, can help us get along with people. Deciding to love. Knowing that love isn't just a feeling, but a real decision. Determining to work together with other people in unity, particularly in the body of Christ. He's talking to church people there. And for all the differences we have in our workplace and backgrounds and education and lifestyle and all that, we are brought together as the body of Christ, a body wanting to you know, work together as your physical body does. He talks about uh, the need to fight against selfishness and pride, wanting to you know, feel good about yourself and impress people. And he talks about the commitment to think of other people with this attitude of humility, to take an interest in others. 
So the question flows out of that to me is, well, what can I do? I'm, I'm a pragmatist. I think, all right, I read that. Well, how can I, how can I be that person? How, what can I do? Well, I'll tell you, I think the single best thing that you can do to develop an interest in other people is to learn the art and the discipline of asking good questions, of asking people questions and staying around to wait for the answer. Uh, you know, uh, because it's amazing how interested other how interesting i should say other people can be uh but you've got to stop talking about yourself to find out and too many people just do talk about themselves they launch and they tell you all about their life and they give way too much detail about something you've got no interest in and they're telling you about all these people that you'll never meet and you're really struggling um if you're old school uh you may remember the monty python crew and um uh, the uh, sketch they did about the travel agent and um, it, it's, uh, it's not something that I probably could show because maybe some of the language is a little colourful but uh, if you do remember that you'll know the guy just launches he comes into the travel agent and starts going on about all the issues with travel and of course the only solution that Michael Palin has to Eric Idle who's the whinger uh, is after a while of politely trying to cut him off or to redirect the conversation and then he finds himself shouting at the guy to shut up and I think he ends the sketch by shooting him. Um, <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting you go to those ends if you're stuck in a difficult conversation, um, but at least, you know, look for the signs if you're launching, you know, if the eyes are rolling or looking desperately behind you for someone else to talk to or they're yawning or trying to change the subject, just... Just don't be like that, yeah? Let others do the talking. Um, you be the one to make the effort to approach, connect, engage, ask the question. And, of course, we all want to talk. We all want to share. People are, as Erin said before, there's an inherent insecurity and loneliness that the devil would like to build and, and develop in our mindset. And so we all want connection and relationship and the opportunity to share our stories and our problems and our issues and stuff and of course that will be an opportunity for you if you're doing what I'm talking about but um, as Jesus said the golden rule is to do to others what you'd like them to do for you he didn't say make others do to you what you really want them to do you know that's that's easily done that's not the you know that's that's not a golden rule at all Um, I remember years ago reading a, a Dennis Waitley book he wrote a lot of great books and uh, he talked about one evening that he and his wife had with another couple. They went to their home for dinner and there were just four of them for a dinner party and he said this couple were obviously desperately in need of friendships and the opportunity to talk and share because they began the evening, Dennis Waitley asked a couple of questions and that, that was it. He didn't get a word in for the rest of the evening. This couple just talked all about themselves and... On they went and then they finally finished the evening and Dennis Waitley said he, he, they left, they shut the door, said goodbye and as they were walking down the pathway of this house it went past the room where they had had the dinner party and they overheard the couple in the room as they were cleaning up the plates and the table and he heard them, over, he heard them say, oh, what great conversationalists they were and, uh, and he thought, isn't that funny? We didn't get to say a word. They did all the talking. 
And yet in their mind, it was a lovely conversation. And it just showed that they were so desperate to want to share their side of the, you know, the story and their life and stuff. Um, and of course, you know, when we show an interest in other people, it, it, it's not necessarily going to lead to a great friendship. Um, but it's just a good habit and a good attitude to approach that we should bring to all our relationships. And in fact, all five of these features that I'm sharing will help you with any relationship. It's just, as I mentioned earlier, the Holy Spirit and personalities, there's going to be a natural flow with some relationships more than others. Uh, and we just have to flow with that and be fine with that. And we're friendly to everyone, but they may not feel the same engagement that we're looking for and vice versa and even in the body of Christ, you know. Uh, we, we've got uh, love as a family for each other and we do our best to, as Romans says, um, do all that you can to be at peace and to live at peace with everyone. And so we do what we can uh, and then we just see how things flow. We accept naturally that we're going to click more with uh, some people than others, yeah? So... Um, so develop that interest in other people and if you don't feel that in your heart, then of course you can just start practicing asking questions and as I said, you'll find people more interesting than you might have expected. Second thing we can all do and be is to become more generous. I don't just mean giving money or giving gifts, um, although that's part of it. You can buy someone a birthday card or a birthday present or shout them a coffee or take them out for lunch and make sure you pay for them. And they're, but they're more results of a heart attitude that's a little deeper, which really begins with losing our life. If we are fully committed to Christ the way he's committed himself to us, we've got to hopefully get to that point in maturity in him where we are not just always thinking, what can I get out of this relationship, but what can I give to it? And that's how God operates with us and we've freely received and then we should be able to also freely give. And, uh, and so it, it, it's a, a way of living selflessly that flows into an ability to give of yourself, to give your time, to give, yes, a present or some money or shout someone. And again, you might start with that. You might think, well, I don't feel like I want to give and show an interest and make such an effort. But if you can just practice, you'll enjoy the flow and it'll become part of your habit and your behavior and your and your attitude and and of course then your character um but it it really does have to be something the holy spirit can touch us about uh, to where we're honestly thinking of the other person because true friendship let's face it is unconditional right it's not a deal making situation where you're focused on what you can benefit where is the the gain for me um and the fact is, if you can be super friendly, but if you've got conditions in that relationship, uh, it's never going to develop into a friendship, or that friendship's just not going to survive. I-, I knew a man who suffered from this, who was very engaging, very friendly, very witty, made friends easily, but over the years, it um, it was a little sad. It became obvious that... Uh, the friends that he made, there was always some calculation. It might have even been just a subconscious thing where he's looking at trying to get a benefit from it. And after a while, some people would just run out of their use-by date he'd, uh, or, or they'd maybe cotton on 
to this dynamic in the relationship that, hang on, he's just kind of using me a bit. And I've sadly seen that he's burned so many bridges, missed out on some long-lasting friendships that could have been maintained if he could have got over himself and, and given more of himself to other people. Uh, because real friendship is really built on this sense of selfless generosity, of this commitment to the welfare of the other person. Um, and again, we're going to do this in different degrees with different people. We should have a willingness to serve, live for others, give to some degree to everybody. But then, yeah, you're going to get led to to some relationships in a deeper way. And, uh, and you see this in the Bible. So many times you've got friends who were close because of this mutual, selfless, generous attitude towards, you, towards each other. You read about um, Ruth and Naomi. Uh, Abraham and Lot, Elijah and Elisha, uh, David. Well, David and Jonathan being the most famous example, but David had great friendships with quite a few different people. Um, okay, Uriah, he didn't score so well. David was having a bad day. Um, so Uriah got an early mark towards to, to heaven. Um, so David was far from perfect. But But let's... Not worry about Uriah for a moment. Um, let's talk about Ittai. Um, Ittai was a really unlikely friend for David to have because Ittai was a Gittite who, as a Gittite, was a Philistine who were normal enemies of all the Jewish people, David's lineage. In fact, Ittai came from Gath. And Gath, as you may know, was the hometown of none other than Goliath. And so you would think that anyone from Gath, David would either not like or have a propensity to stone or cut their heads off or, you know, but he find, he, he aligned himself with David and their friendship was tested in a massive way, which we read about in the second book of Samuel, chapter 15. I'll give you a little bit of background. David had a son called Absalom, wasn't such a good son. And, um, and we read in this chapter about Absalom's uh, rebellion against his own father, King David. And uh, Absalom had worked very hard at getting people to like him, very focused. And you read about that in verse 6 of uh, 2 Samuel 15. It says that Absalom stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. He wasn't supporting his king and his father and encouraging people to honour God's appointed leader. He was all about, you know, oh, I can do this better than David. And so he worked for four years on this and then he finally made his move to totally usurp his father's uh, authority. He sent messages around the kingdom and they sent out the message that Absalom has been made king. And people thought, wow, okay. And he, and, he, and he got all these conspirators to join him. So the word gets through to David who's in Jerusalem and David realises, wow, this is serious. If I stay here, we'll end up being besieged or the city will be sacked because we'll have this massive war. So he leaves uh, Jerusalem and has to prepare to fight his own son. So when he's leaving, there's 600 men from Gath who are loyal to him and uh, and the leader is uh, Ittai. And David thinks, well, this isn't going to be what they want to do. I'm going to let them go. And, it, and, and we read here, and it may be come up on the screen, from verse um, 15, 19, from verse 19. It says, the king, that's David, turned and said to Ittai, a leader of the men from Gath, why are you coming with us? 
Go on back to King Absalom, for you are a guest in Israel. You're a foreigner in exile. You arrived only recently. Should I force you today to wander with us? I don't even know where we will go. Go on back and take your kinsmen with you. May the Lord show you his unfailing love and faithfulness. So there's David showing his love, his true friendship, no strings attached. Okay, look, I appreciate your friendship, but I... David could do with this guy and his 600 men. He needs some support. He needs some soldiers. But he's not going down there. He's not thinking what he needs out of it. He's letting him go. And then the next verse, this is Itai's response. I vow by the Lord and by my own life that I will never, that I will go wherever my Lord the king goes, no matter what happens, whether it means life or death. David replied, all right. Come with us. So Hittai and his men and their families went along. Probably didn't have time. You know, they were escaping the city. Probably didn't have time for a, okay, you got one last chance. Let's go. And, uh, but isn't that awesome? Both of these guys are bringing this selfless commitment to bear into their relationship. David's not thinking of his need for support. He's saying, listen, don't, but you're going to be a fugitive. We don't know. Absalom could very well overthrow us. We're all going to get killed. But Ittai responds likewise by saying, I, I, look, I'm putting my welfare on the back burner. I'm thinking of you. I want to support you. When you read on, you find that they go to war. David makes Ittai one of his three key leaders of the army as they have to fight against Absalom, which they win. We don't read any more about Ittai. Some commentators surmise that that's because Ittai fell in battle. So if that's the case, well, he died a good death. I like to think that there's a lot of people to talk about in the Bible and he just didn't get another mention, that he lived happily ever after and that he got rewarded and that he and David raced chariots on the weekend, you know, and had a great time. Who knows? That's, that's, that's my theological input. Um, you like that one? It's better, isn't it? Yeah. It's like the rapture. You know, you can be a mid-trib, post-trib, uh, you know, a person with your eschatology and, and dispensational view, but I figure why not go for the pre-trib rapture and just figure, look, you can go through the tribulation if you like. I'm expecting to get raptured beforehand. Um, so, look, your commitment to your friends doesn't have to be so dramatic. Hopefully it's not going to be a life and death situation. It can mean it's something as simple as just remembering to call them, to stay in touch, to be with them, to be there for them if they're going through a hard time, to send them a text or a card or a message of some kind and to show that support, to as I said, show an interest. Third one uh, is to be honest. We already heard that from Simon, how uh, being honest is a good thing in relationships. So we're getting a little deeper here. Again, you can, you can bring this to bear in all your relationships to some degree, um, but with your friends, you're going to be more vulnerable. You're going to be more open. You're going to share your heart. You're not going to put on any kind of mask or pretense. And, of course, Jesus did this with his disciples. Look what John said in uh, John 15, verse 12 onwards. Jesus speaking, he said, This is my commandment, guys. Love one another in the same way that I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life than for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Or servants, some translations, sounds softer. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Isn't that amazing? 
Uh, there's a few things there. Jesus models for the disciples and for us perfect sacrificial love that we were talking about because he literally laid down his life, not just figuratively. And uh, that's the generosity of spirit that I've spoken about. He gave his whole life. Notice that friendship with Jesus begins with obedience, not just, yeah, me and Jesus, me mate, yeah, you know, do what I like, you know. Well, yes, Jesus can become a friend, but it's a unique kind of friendship, not what you'd call a normal peer-to-peer relationship where you're, you know, maybe telling him off or flicking him on the back of the head as a bit of a joke, maybe a fair degree of respect and and awe uh, and submission and obedience that we bring. Um, And yet, Jesus still can become a friend. And so that shows his understanding of how powerful friendships are because he models this for us and says to these guys, hey, I'm confiding in you now. I'm actually opening my heart. I'm being vulnerable. And he did. And you can see, you know, he... When he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's praying out and he's having the guys with him through his struggles. And so his life was an open book to these guys. There were no secrets, nothing hidden from them. And again, that doesn't mean that you share everything in your heart with everyone you meet. Right? We're just talking about friendships getting deeper. Um, so it's not to the same degree that we bring into every relationship. Um, of course... When you know when we when we're going to share our heart, uh, we're going to have these trusted close friends that we're looking we're looking for advice. We're going to share everything with them, and and that's not appropriate, as I said, for every relationship. As this story that I'm going to share so vividly illustrates, and a good friend, I could say, I should say this. The test of a good friend is that they won't mind if you tell an embarrassing story about them. Dale, are you taking notes? I just want to make sure you heard that point. A really good friendship is tested that you will not kill. I'll just read my notes here. You will not kill the person that tells an embarrassing story about them. All right. Just making sure that Dale's taking notes because he's very close and very big and he's the subject of the next story. Um, I love this story and I'm so sorry, Dale, and I may have told it once before, but it bears telling so many times. Um, I even found myself telling it to some mates at a conference when I was preparing this message. (laughs) I'd forgotten all about this story. I was reminded of it recently and I prayed, Lord, please let me build a whole message around this story. Let it have some value of eternal, well, well, you know, worth, but the story bears, anyway, I'm, 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 setting the bar too high. You may not think it's funny, but just be glad that I do. Uh, look, Dale uh, went to a conference years ago with a work colleague and they had to stay in a hotel room together, right? <laughs> Two... All right, some of you may remember, but... Okay, so so he... he um, they're at a conference and they have a break in the conference and, they, and he goes shopping and he's, he's, his associate goes shopping or has coffee or something. He doesn't know the guy that well, but they have to room together in this hotel. And uh, so Dale goes shopping and he needed to buy a pair of shorts. So he went into Meyer or David Jones, whatever, and he tried on a couple of different pairs of shorts and he thought he would get Aaron, he's close confident, this is the friendship thing I'm talking about, that you're honest with and, you know, he, he thought he'd obviously get Aaron's views on which shorts to buy. So he took two different photos and to see the shorts properly, obviously he's got bare legs taken and he wanted to, he had to lift up his shirt. So he's got this 
lovely big hairy chest and and shorts, and he made a bit of a joke too in front of the mirror. Took a photo of himself or the selfie. I think he might have got it in the mirror this way, and um, and sort of maybe did a bit of a flex for fun. Took two different versions and sent to Aaron the photos with the phrase, "What do you think?" Only to find that he had not texted the photographs to his wife. He had sent them to his work colleague. The one that he didn't know that well, but the one that he was rooming with that very night. I mean, it's just too good, isn't it? I mean, just come on. So the guy gets the pictures of his work associate beard and his big hairy chest. What do you think? Come on, in this day and age, he's married to a woman, but, you know, who knows? He's away from home. The guy's mind is racing. The guy's bigger than me. Is he interested? Is he... What What do I... But here's the best part of the story. The guy never said anything. And Dale never said anything. Come on. Come on. And so they went back to the conference that afternoon. And, and here's the second best part of the story. Dale is an IT, IT guru, but he still couldn't do anything. He's, he, he's calling the inventors of Apple. He's downloading all the, I don't know, the blueprints of the iPhone to think, to stop Telstra, to shut down the whole network in Australia. But there's nothing he could do. He knew the message went through and... And then they go back to the conference and there's the guy. And then they go to the hotel and stay the night, maybe two. And then nothing was ever said. Oh, oh, oh. Come on. I just got to really pull it together. I could, I could really lose it right now. Okay, so. Mm, oh. So isn't that, aren't you glad you came to church just for that? Come on. I mean, anyway, uh, back to the Bible. So. So, uh, and uh, I don't know which shorts he bought, but I'm sure he looked good. Um, so, look, honesty in a friendship means you're going you're gonna to ask questions like that to the right people. Uh, and you're also going to get input from people. It goes two ways. Listen to what Proverbs says in 27 verse 9. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. So, you're going to actually be honest enough to share your heart and also be open for someone else to share their heart. Heartfelt counsel. That sounds nice. Sweet, isn't it? Well, it doesn't always feel sweet because heartfelt counsel might mean honest, raw truth. That doesn't feel sweet when you first hear it. But it is sweet. We're told it's awesome. It's great. It's valuable. It just may not feel like that because if you've got an issue or a problem in your life, Heartfelt counsel might mean that someone who loves you and who trusts and you trust, they may actually bring that out and put it out on the table. (gasps) You don't want to hear that, but it's going to help you rather than just live with that issue or that problem forever and not know because you've got blind spots like all of us. And so, again, the right people, the right honest relationship might actually bring something up or bring you counsel or suggest a course of action that you may not have thought of. And the next one's very similar because it says the wounds of a friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So again, kisses sound nice. Well, 
some enemies might kiss and they don't really have your best interest at heart. But a friend may actually wound you with a rebuke that's painful but helpful. And, uh, and this is because in the thrust and parry of, of friendships, there's some sharpening going on. As Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, you may know this verse, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens another friend. See, friction in friendship is good. Again, this is not just anyone. You don't go out and think, great, I'm going to go and sharpen some people over coffee in the courtyard. Hey, I've got a few things to say to you. Wait, I'll get my phone. I've got a list. It's like, no, 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 settle down. We're not just ripping into people, yeah? Okay, fourth quality. We're getting deeper. We're building, bringing something to become good friends. We're going to be loyal. Number four is to be loyal. This is going at a whole new level now. Because you can easily have or be a fair-weather friend, as they say. They can come easily and they can go easily. But will you stand by someone when things are bad, when they don't have something going on that's all so positive? Maybe they're struggling, maybe they're failing, maybe they've done something really stupid. Or maybe they've done nothing wrong or very little wrong. But the vultures are circling. There's rumours flying around. There's a bad report going on. And you're tempted to step back and think, ooh, do I really want to be associated with this? Well, look what Proverbs says again. Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend is always loyal. A brother is born to help in time of need. Or perhaps you know the other translation. A brother is born for times of adversity. A close friend will be tested when times of adversity come. And if you're in any position of leadership, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about because um, you'll find out who's willing to, to stand by you when, when the critics have a go. I once had a man who said, Pastor, I'd take a bullet for you. Well, he ended up being the one shooting at me, not literally. Mind you, I probably would have preferred to take a literal bullet. Um, but praise the Lord, I've had others who do believe the best in me, Dale being one of them, who hopefully now won't kill me over that story, uh, people who will stand when criticism comes. And as I said, leadership, you'll become a target. You, you've got to have a thick skin and a soft heart, not the other way around. Uh, and ultimately, God's our source of strength. He's our great comfort. He's the one that we turn to. But it's also helpful to have people who'll stand by you. The best way to ensure that is to be that person, to sow those seeds of loyalty yourself. And so don't be a critic and a complainer and someone who's quick to gossip or stab someone in the back. Let's be people who believe in people, like David and Ittai, loyal, standing together, standing for each other. And, uh, and again, a couple more Proverbs. Look at this. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one that is truly reliable? See, it's not necessarily quantity of friends but quality you don't need millions of friends hundreds of friends even dozens of friends you just need a few good men as the saying goes or women people who are really loyal proverbs 18 verse 24 a man of many companions may come to ruin but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother so again you can have a lot of associates, a lot of companions, a lot of friendly-ish kind of people in your life, but you just need someone who's going to stand by you and you can be that person and therefore you'll end up reaping what you sow. The fifth and final one that I think we need to bring to our friendships is to be godly, to be prayerful, to be close to God. 
Because if you've got the light of God shining in your life and through your life, that's going to bless other people. That's going to bring something of benefit to their life. You're going to bring wisdom and life and energy and vitality and faith and hope and love and joy and all the fruit of the Spirit. And that's going to benefit that relationship. And you can develop those qualities. And, of course, it makes you, even, it makes you more attractive if you've got those qualities flowing in your life. If you had the chance of hanging around someone who is grumpy, selfish and miserable or someone who's prayed up, full of revelation from reading the word of God and passion for living for Jesus, well, who are you going to choose? Who are you going to want to hang around with? And so which one are you? Of course, a close relationship with God benefits us, not just the people that we're hanging out with. And our ultimate friendship, number one, should be with Jesus above every other relationship. Because even the best of friends, the closest of companions, by the nature of being human, will let us down. And we will do the same for others. And so we can't replace the perfect love that we can get from Jesus. But again, we can then do something with that and bring it to bear. And, and can I just say this finally? Uh, there's a, there is a, like Aaron was saying before, there's a, uh, a challenge in, in relationships and some of us struggle and we've lost friendships and there's pain involved. I'm going to pray for people at the end if that's uh, been part of your journey. And it will be <laughs> if you haven't, you know, felt betrayed. Uh, just keep breathing. Something will happen that, you know, makes you wonder, what was that? Why did they, you know. But there's still a, a buoyancy. It's worth bringing. It's still still worth being on the front foot as far as loving again, you know, putting yourself out there again, trusting again, not I'll never love again, you know, because, you know, we're called to be not childish but childlike in our faith towards God. And you look at children, what do kids say when they come home from school? Dad, can I do my homework? Any chores to do around the house? How was your day? What do they say? Can I go out and play? They just want to go and play. And who do they play with? Anyone on the street? They just find anyone. Hey, can I be your friend? You know? Okay, sure. What's your name? John. Great. We're friends. Ah, I've had a great friend. John and I are friends. We're best friends. And then next day, John and your kid trying to kill each other because they've ruined their cubby. We've got, we got cubby wars going on in our neighbourhood. But then, honestly, we've got one, one – I'm serious. One week ago, we've got a kid that is ripping down Keelan's cubby and they're trying to kill each other. Today he's at church. We're best friends. Yeah, great. We're buddies. Yeah, they just get over it. They don't, you know, carry a chip on their shoulder forever. So just when you get home, don't get, you know, when you come home from work and you're exhausted, don't just stare at a screen. You know, what do they say? Don't just watch friends. Make, make them, you know, uh, and get out there and play. And, of course, maybe if you're over the age of 12, be careful if you're just saying to little kids, let's go and play. That's a little creepy. You've got to find someone generally of your own age, but, and you might not find them on the street wandering around with a tennis ball, you know, but you can find somebody, you know what I'm saying, and, um, and find someone. So let's develop these qualities. Be generous, be interested in people, be honest, be loyal, be godly, and, of course, you'll be a blessing, and in turn, you'll be blessed. Don't keep turning things around and thinking, oh, yeah, those five qualities. I'm going to look for someone with those qualities and then I'm going to want them to be my friend. No, no, I'm talking about taking responsibility, yeah, and trying to build them into your life.
hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. <laughs>